finally spring, right, you guys? Time to, okay, yeah, vacuum up your shredded March Madness brackets and look toward Major League Baseball and PGA golf tournaments and, of course, hockey season, which goes until, what, like June? There is so much pent-up demand due to more than a year of COVID-19 restrictions. I know you guys feel it. Even people who have never been sports fans are like, I'm going to a game. I can't take this. I have to get out. And, and I think in that regard, COVID's changed a lot of you. But when it comes to building a business, no matter whether it's in a global pandemic, a recession, or, or sunshine in a blue sky scenario, there will always be people who dream of doing some of that, right? And some of whom leave it at the dream, others who face the dragons that come with it, and forge ahead to create a business, even, even when it's so hard. I want you to hear the story of John Levy. Okay, dude's Canadian. He's not 12 years old, like some of these entrepreneurs that you hear about out of Silicon Valley. He always had sports and television running in his veins because from the start, his family's cable business, right, was small. He built it up. And then he said, you know what? I want to build my own television network. Okay, that led to his most recent venture, The Score. But his climb to the top was nothing short, and there are going to be a, a several sports analogies here, a marathon packed with curveballs, strikes, foul balls, losses. But when he puts it all together, he is winning. John is the founder and head of sports media and online gaming giant, The Score, as I said, which just went public on the NASDAQ and now has a $1.6 billion market value. I got to hear your story, John. Welcome to Everyone Talks to Liz. Wow. It's a pleasure to be here, man. It's, uh, I just like listening to you describing this. <laughs> That's all you want. Why don't you just keep going? I could just sit here for like 30 minutes. I know some people- Whether it's like, true or not true, doesn't about? matter. It just sounds so marvelous. And it's just like, oh, wow, this path and here we go. And, you know, it's kind of like it was- sort of one steady climb. And as you well know, um, these things never are on a straight line. Or never. A, um, but let me start with the most recent thing, March Madness. How'd you do with your March Madness bracket? I sucked. Well, first of all, <laughs> I mean, it's like, first of all, I, it's tough because a couple of my kids went to school in the States, right? One went to Michigan. Okay. And I loved the way Michigan was playing. I thought they were going to go. And another one went to Texas. And two of my other kids were in school in Canada. So that didn't count with respect to March Madness. But uh, at the end of it, look who's in. One and one and two. And what a game that was. That UCLA game. I mean, mm. oh, my God. Like, well, I'm a UC kid because I went to Berkeley. but And I did summer school at UCLA. My dad taught at UCLA Medical School. So I, was, I love underdogs. That's yeah. my thing. I think that's why we get along so well. Yeah. <laughs> But that's a whole other story. But yeah, I mean, like one shot. I mean, when, when they tied it up with 2.8 seconds to go and the kid mm -hmm. followed that shot in and got the rebound and put it in, right? I mean, your heart was stopping, saying, oh my God, here we go again. There's another overtime. And then, oh my God, the three-pointer from midcourt. Were you always into sports? I always liked sports. Yeah, I mean, not as crazy as other people. I mean, I like to play sports. I played basketball in high school here. A little different than high school in the States, but I played here. Yeah, I love sports. My dad loves sports. You know, my dad used to bet on sports. I mean, you know, when somebody says, how did you get into this whole business, like the sports betting business? And sometimes if I have a long enough window to tell the story, I tell the story about when I was a little kid, I used to come into the den and my dad on Sundays and, and the phone would ring. Right. And and I pick up the phone and there's boys go, is your dad there? <laughs> right. I knew exactly who it was. So 
dad is boom, the bookie. So I, you know, I, I passed the phone to him and he'd make his bets for Sunday. And then I'd sit and watch the games with my dad. And you know, he wasn't, he wasn't a huge better. It didn't affect his day in life, but it was a form of entertainment. He loved to bet on sports. Right. And I'm not saying that was the foundation of everything where we are today, but you know, love of sports, seeing sports betting being just a natural part of why people love sports and not interfering with their life and just, you know, mm. just part of the passion. And I think that sort of, and then that, you know, that was, I was the youngest of three with my dad. My eldest brother was like 10 years older than me. So he was out of the house when I was still a little kid. He went to Michigan state actually, interestingly enough. And, and my sister was sort of seven years, my elder. And so, so, so as the business, the cable business that we talked about earlier was growing, uh, I sort of grew up in that business, you know, in the sixties. Right. And, uh, worked there with my dad every, every summer. And, um, you know, went to school, went to undergrad in Toronto, U of T and ended up going to law school there because at that particular time, I wasn't ready to go full time, even though I spent every summer working with my dad and learning the business, the cable business. Right. And this is, he was like a huge, he was an entrepreneur. He was doing cable. That's a whole other story, how we got involved with it. But. but it isn't a whole different story because by osmosis, you saw that he took a shot at something that was in its early stages, cable. Oh my God. Like, like there was no cable. Okay. And he read up about this company in the UK, which was one of the first cable operations. Hamilton, which is about 40 miles outside of Toronto has an escarpment. And my dad and the house I actually still live in is in the West end of the city. And the reception in the West end of Hamilton is crappy because all the signals bounce off the escarpment. So my dad heard about this silly technology where if you, instead of everybody having an antenna on the roof, you put an antenna on a high place run these little things called coaxial cable into the home, all of a sudden, Buffalo channels, as you're familiar with, come in clearly as compared to with all this haze and shadows. So in 1958, he started the company and basically wow. threw this antenna up on the escarpment, ran cables over the escarpment, rented a, a trailer, hired two young women, <laughs> go door to door, knock on the door to say to these people, turn on WGR Buffalo. Tell me how's it look in your house. And they sit around with the antenna, you know, the little bo- Right. With a, with like, like a, a, little, a little thing, right. A, a coat hanger and a right. bottle of empty water. And you're exactly. exactly. And then, you know, he'd say, okay, now look at this. And they take the cable, t- call them out to the trailer, plug it in. And they'd see WGR, WNBC, WC, like, and into, for the first time, clearly. Wow. And he said, okay, so, you can have this, or you can continue to futz around with your stupid antenna. What do you want? <laughs> For $4.50 a month, I can give you this. Oh. 12 channels, crystal clear like this, right? And honest to God, I do remember as a kid driving around. My, so, so what you had to do is wait till these bloody antennas fell down. So during a winter storm, which there are lots in the horseshoe area, you, instead of paying $200 to fix your antenna or $150, the girls would go back and they'd say for that, we can put the cable in your home. And for $4.50 a month, you've got cable television. Do you think that that experience of watching your dad be so intrepid and knock on doors and start something that nobody even understood, let alone believed in, gave you the guts to then fast forward to, wait a minute, I'm thinking of starting and taking on ESPN by putting together a sports media company in Canada that would eventually morph into wagering, which wasn't even really legal in the U.S. at the time. It all goes part and parcel. I mean, you, 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 
you, you don't learn this stuff. It happens by osmosis. Like you're right. It just comes into you. You, you, you don't, you're not afraid of stuff. You, you, you know, you, you know, he was selling something that people were getting for free, you know, believing in an idea, really believing in it, not, not just for the sake of showing off to other people or, but really believe. And, and it really boils down. And one of the other major lessons was he was in sync with the consumer. I mean, at the end of the day, when you knock on the trailer and you see somebody's bloody eyes light up because they've seen things the way they've never seen them before, mm. you're scratching a niche. You're doing something that instantly you sort of recognize. Well, there was a need for it, clearly, but you just had to lead people to see that need by showing them a second option. Correct. And, so and- how did you then say, I'm leaving that cable business as an adult and I'm going to do something different? So- it really was a transition. I mean, you know, the cable company kept growing. We bought other little cable companies. That was another story when we bought our first cable company when I was in first year of law school. We were building our own little cable system in the west end of the city and starting to get a little bit of cash flow, starting to make some money, not gobs, but a little bit of money. And they were starting to appreciate and value the cable companies. So the trick was you could only, and you all in Canada, as you know, you only had your own licensed area. So if you wanted to grow, you had to fill in your area, which was dependent on how fast houses would take, you know, grow in your area, or you had to buy other little cable companies, rounds of consolidation. So when I was in first year law school, there was an adjacent cable company to us that it was very small, but I remember talking to the owner and it's a very small family businesses. And he said, you know, if I can get a million dollars for my business, I'm going to sell. And he was up to about 5,000 customers. And I knew that the value per customer at the point was about $200 a customer or something like that. So I knew we were at the million dollar stage for him. So I went to see him and I said, do you remember you told me? He says, yeah. And he said, well, I think I can get you a million bucks for your system. Are you interested in selling? He said, if you can get me a million bucks, it's yours. And this is an adjacent cable system, right? So all you got to do is plug it in. And it's, yeah, yeah. Geez, I, mean, I can't tell you, it was like ridiculous. So long story short, now he said yes. Now I had to come up with the money. My dad had, our, we had accumulated about half a million dollars in the bank from mm-hmm. just cash flow, not, not, not gobs and gobs of money, but enough to live comfortably, to sustain the business and do what we want to do. But that's only half a million. So I went to the bank, the bank, and I said, listen, um, this guy's going to sell it to us. It makes perfect sense. I can run you up and down the model. I mean, this is like ridiculous. I mean, I'm paying him this amount. It's worth that amount. These things are appreciating <laughs> in value. You know, like the revenue per customer is going through the roof. We haven't even started with all the services that we're going to be able to sell to these putzes. But it's like, 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 <laughs> so the bank said, okay, if you can come up with half a million, I'll lend you half a million. So now I'm saying, okay, I can do that. So now who would I got to talk to? I got to go talk to my dad. So I said, dad, I got some great news. We can buy Northgate Cable. He said, great. How much? I said, a million bucks. He said, where's the million bucks coming from? He says, well, I said, I got the bank ready to pay a half a million. And I said, you know that little reserve we have? I said, there's the other half a million. And he looks at me and says, you want to use the half a million dollars we spent the last three or four years? I mean, he wasn't getting on in age, but he wasn't looking at building like not like aggressively. So he said, take me through the numbers. So I showed it to him. He says, okay, you think this is really what it's going to be? I said, this is just the beginning. I said, I wish they had 50,000 users because of whatever they have, it's going to grow and grow and grow. He said, okay, go and do it. So Didn't your stomach squeeze. How anxious were you? Because every great success 
comes with a great risk at certain points. I mean, yeah, I was a little nervous, but it was like, I knew that was the beginning. That's how we were going to grow. And that led to three or four other acquisitions in the cable business. And then in the mid nineties, the next step was, you know, as you could tell, there were new services that were starting new broadcast services. And uh, the commission in Canada was calling for new services. So I was thinking, you know what? I mean, there's only one sports service in Canada called TSN, which was like your ESPN. In fact, mm-hmm. the ESPN owned part of it. And I said, there's lots of room for other sports networks. And I said, you know what? They're sort of more of a traditional approach to sports. I don't think that's really resonating with the younger audience. What was the hardest part about starting the score? Uh, well, no, it was difficult. Um, the hardest part. Um, that's a good question because there were lots of hurdles. There were lots of hurdles. One, I had to get a license, right? So mm-hmm. we had to go to the commission. And you knew the commission because I'd appeared before them all the time for the cable companies. But now I'm moving into the next level, right? Now I'm not just a cable guy. Now I'm going to be a broadcast service. So I had to have all my P's and Q's ready. I had to, you had to know exactly what the model was. Why should they allow you to compete with the big guy, TSN? Like, what are you doing that they're not doing, right? And Mm -hmm. in terms of a sports service and how are you going to finance it? And, um, you know, you still got your cable company and you don't, you know, you're okay, but you don't have, do you have all the money and the capital necessary to, to sustain this thing? And how are you sure? So I think there was a lot of things that I had to convince other people that this was right. I was convinced in my own mind and heart that it was right. So I think that was one. I guess the trepidation was that you just wanted verification from the other side, from the users, that your perception as to what was missing in the sports industry was right. And when we launched, it it happened really fast because it was nothing like anything anybody had seen. It was a ticker and data on a screen. It was like internet on the screen, right? And that's riveting. And it was like, it was like, like, I guess the closest thing you guys would have was ESPN news way back when. And the ticker had the odds on it. Ha ha, surprise, fast forward to what, may have been in the future, right? Exactly. So people are looking at this stuff and it was fast data on the television where people were still accustomed to watching sports content. Uh, we had cheesy 60 music behind all this data because that's what I like. <laughs> and all of a sudden, people were loving this thing. And then mid, you know, 94, 95, right? And then we got a license for it. And um, you know, listen, we weren't making money right off the bat. I mean, the cable guys were giving TSN two or three bucks a month. They're giving us like 10 cents, you know, like go away, Mr. Little Levy. Just, you know, I know you're a good cable operator, but I don't know what the hell you're doing with this stuff. Sorry. So prove it to me. And then maybe it'll be worth more. Besides, you don't have any live games on. Who watches, who does a sports channel with no live games? What are you nuts? So um, it grew and it grew and it grew. And eventually we sold the cable company. And then um, just the way things unfold. I mean, this is like, uh, so we had the opportunity to, we got an amendment to our license from the commission because there were two actually other competing services, TSN, who had a 10-year head start, and Sportsnet, which still exists today, which is now owned by Rogers, but wasn't, uh, wasn't at the time. Um, so there was rumors that those guys were going to be merging. So I went back to the commission. I said, look, you don't want just one sports network in Canada that does live games. You're gonna, if you're going to let them merge, and I don't know if you're going to or not, that's your decision, but why don't you let us do a little, I remember the phrase exactly, a limited amount of live event programming. Just give me, I don't know, 10%, let's say 10% of my full broadcast time to do some games. 
I have no idea whether I'm going to get the broadcast rights or not. I'll negotiate. I'll see what comes up. It's hard for me to compete with the big guys, but I'm not going to hurt anybody anyway. Just give me 10%. Is it fair to say you were flying by the seat of your pants? Oh, totally. Totally. Don't you have to do that when you're launching a business in so many points? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, you never know it's going to work until it works, right? I mean, you can think it's the same with what we're doing on the betting. I mean, we're totally different than everybody else. We're, you know, we're betting fused with the media business. We're not just a gaming operator. It's a sports. Um, it's showing signs now of it really working, which is very exciting for us. But until you actually execute and start to get the reaction and the success that you think is going to come, you're, you're always questioning yourself. This is Everyone Talks to Liz, and we'll be right back. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clayman. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clayman right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clayman. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's a big jump, though, to go from, hey, you know, give me 10% of the games to suddenly, wait a minute, we could really grow this into something and one day take it public on the NASDAQ? Well, back then, I had no idea. And listen, I mean, you, you build your dream in stages, right? I mean, that was, you know, back then, uh, you know, it was we're really plugging into something that people love and this thing is going to be worth a lot of money and let's keep building it and it's going to generate revenue and maybe we can sell the cable company because the other guys are beating our door down because they want to they want to do to me what I did to the other guys you know take us over and stick the you know plug the cable in and just say goodbye to Levy so which is what <laughs> happened Kojiko did it a Montreal outfit that did that so we sold the cable uh, because the, you know, the TV asset was starting, starting to grow. And so then the, just to go back to that license, when, when we got the government to allow us to do, and that's 40 hours a week of live programming, right? 40 hours of live. I got a TV channel. I got, where am I going to get this? Where am I going to, what live programming? So out of whatever, Major League Baseball rights, baseball just started, Major League Baseball rights in Canada come up. Okay. Wow. Not the Jays, because obviously the Jays are covered by the big sports network because they think the only thing that people in Canada are like is the Blue Jays and they're maybe mm -hmm. not real baseball fans. But so we went and we got the rights to all the other MLB games in Canada, all across. Whoa. The okay. Talk about a, okay. Here's one of these. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Yes. This, big one. this is a big one. So I went way out on a limb, signed this ridiculous contract for, for major league baseball in Canada. Um, still had a 10 cent rate or 20 cent rate, like <laughs> bullshit. I mean, but like crappy rate thinking, thinking that with that, I'd be able to go back to the government who controls the rates. Then now I could actually treat me like a real sports network and I'll get like 50 cents or a buck and I'll, cause you, 
sports broadcast rights, which you also learned very early in the game, is not supportable alone by advertising dollars. It's only Correct. supportable by the fees that you generate from the subscription. And that's why all the whole world is changing because now they're not getting those fees anymore and everything is unfolding. But back then, that was that was the game. So, so the idea was, I'll go out on a limb, I'll get the rights, I'll agree to pay for this thing for like five or seven years, pray like crazy that the rates will go up. In the meantime, I got credibility now with my TV network, I got baseball. I got how many games a night? How many games are there a night? 10, 11, 12 games? Sometimes, yeah. Right? I got one for stunk on a little TV channel. What are you going to do with, <laughs> with 12 games on one channel for Canada? So we're sitting there saying, you know, okay, what are we going to do with this? I could pick a game. What if I pick the wrong game? Everybody's going to be mad at me. I can't do the, I can't do the Jays. I can't do the Yankees. I can't do the Red Sox every night. I got every, so we were sitting around the border and we said, well, this is stupid. We got all the feeds coming in. Six bucks. No. Really? No, we couldn't do six box back then. We couldn't. Okay. Good idea. We couldn't. Okay. Do, but the I'm right there idea, with you. But the right idea was let's flip from game to game. Oh, like Red Zone today. It was the originator. We called it Diamond Surfing. And oh it was, my It was God. Diamond Surfing. So that's what we did. So we had all these feeds. We went from game to game to game. We even went to our subscribers and, and through, well, I don't even remember, it was email or whatever. I can't remember how we did it. We got, let them choose which games they want to highlight at the night, but we're going to flip from game to game. And if the bases were loaded, a guy's got a no hitter going. If something's happening, you, you, you don't miss a thing if you're on the score. Right? Diamond surfing. It was called diamond surfing. And people effing loved it. What year was this, John? Oh, my God. This was in the, uh, I don't know, oh, God, 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I was. Okay. So before Red Zone. Or Red Zone, for sure. So I think Red Zone just celebrated its tenure, I think. Yeah. It was way before Red Zone, way before. And again, it was just out of necessity, right? And people loved it. Um, and it grew our network and stuff. Uh, but here's the, what almost killed you. Um, I couldn't get, the government didn't allow me to take the rates up. So I'm stuck with this gazillion dollar rights fees. I got a great network. Everybody loves it, but I can't sustain it on 15 or 20 cents a month that I was getting. I got it up to 20 cents or whatever the hell it was. So what comes along? The baseball strike. When was the baseball strike? 94, 95. Correct. So in 94, 95, we have the rights. They're probably another three or four years to go. I'm bleeding like crazy in terms of financially. And everything else with the network is doing fine, but I can't sustain the major league baseball rights that I was paying at the time because I couldn't get the rates up. The strike happens. And um, I go back to Major League Baseball. I think I had two or three years left on the deal. And basically, I said to them, look, this isn't working for me. I mean, I love it, but I can't sustain it. I can't pay these rates because I can't get the government to give me. The, I can't just charge what people would be willing to pay because that's not how it works in Canada. I have a set fee that's regulated. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pay out. I don't know when the strike's going to be over, but if I give you this year and next year, then you can go and sell your rights for a lot more money to the other big guys. I'm sure they're going to pay you for it. And I get out and I can sustain myself. Everybody thought I was nuts. I didn't think they were going to, they were going to let me out or they're going to take the money that I offered. And thank God I had at least that capital to do it. Like that was like 20 or $25 million to, to pay them out. And I can't remember exactly where it was. And they took it. And that was, uh, if they didn't take that and I had to continue through the strike and hmm. worry about, so there was one of those, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. Perfect example, because they say, Jack Welch would say, and I quote this all the time, 
You can be a good CEO, but to be a really great CEO, you have to survive a near-death business experience. And that almost feels like it was. And through sheer stick you managed. Which brings me now to wagering and how that business developed for you. That was pretty gutsy, too, because it wasn't even legal until relatively recently, certainly here in the United States, online sports wagering. Sure, for sure. So again, it was another one of these natural sort of transitions. I mean, like the, okay, so the app was growing and growing. We incubated the digital, the score app inside the TV network. We knew we'd kick butt in Canada, but what we didn't anticipate was how successful it would be in the States because we were getting huge downloads just because it was good and, and it was fast and it was better than ESPN and still is better than ESPN and better <laughs> than any other ones. And, and, and it's because it's our sole focus, right? I mean, we sold the TV asset to, to Rogers as a, my competitor actually ended up buying the TV asset, you know, about eight years ago. And then we be, became solely focused on being digital and being the best we could be um, as, as a mobile offering. And again, but the, but the follow through is back in the, back when I was a little kid on the couch with my dad or back in the, the cable days or back in the, you know, in, in the, in the TV days, people bet on sports. Hello. Hello. I mean, it's like, what are you nuts? You don't think it's happening? It's a billion dollar industry. And, you know, we've got millions and millions of people on our app all across North America, hitting our app 100, 140 times a month on average. It's going crazy on Sunday. It's going crazy tonight during March Madness. It's going crazy, you know, when there's games being played. People aren't consuming content the way they used to, the way I was a kid with my dad on the couch. They don't have time to do that. Where do they get all their information? It's right here. I mean, this may be implanted in our heads at some point in the future, but it's mobile. It's going to be with you, right? And, you know, that, you know, it was, and people bet on sports. So when the, when, when PASPA fell and we were looking at it and we're saying, okay, what do we, what should we do? Should we just let the other guys who want to get into this business in a legal way advertise? go after our user base, try and move them over to their betting platforms. We could probably make a lot of money there doing it that way. I mean, it's become a lot of people basically become a super affiliate, right? A marketing tool for these other companies. We said, well, no, that just doesn't seem right. I mean, God damn it. I mean, we built the brand. We have a user base. They love us. They love our brand. They really do. They, I'm not just saying that they really do. They bet on sports. So let's be the operator. Let's do it. Let me jump to from let's do it to relatively recently, past couple of months, you went public on the NASDAQ. That's (laughs) a dream people think about with their little business and never reach in many cases. And there you were. And today I just checked, got a $1.6 billion market cap. What was that moment like on the day you went public? It was... Um, it was, it was, it was kind of weird to be quite, quite honest, because we couldn't be there. That's number one. So part of the dream of being going public in the U S is to either ring the bell yeah. or be right there, standing there, you know, like with all the hot shots, do you know what I mean? And actually, yeah. and, 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 um, I've actually been there before for a partnership with another, not, I didn't have ownership in it, but another company that went public in the U S but so I have had the experience, but it wasn't yours, right? It wasn't ours. This one is ours. This was our baby, right? Now, we've been public in Canada for a lot of years, right? We're on the TSX. So right. it wasn't so much the fact that we were now a public company. We've lived in the public company um, suit 
for, for quite some time. Um, and, and, and that actually makes the transition a lot easier because companies that are private becoming public, it's a big change for them. For us, the big change was now we're in the big board, so to speak. We're, we're, you know, we're open to the world's capital markets. Right. You know, we have um, a whole new slew of investors that are going to be looking at us, both institutional and retail that, that really never knew who the score was before. So it was, it was very exciting, very exciting. John, as we finish up, as somebody who's built something from a mere idea to a billion-dollar-plus publicly traded company, what is your number one piece of advice to anybody listening who dreams of doing the same? First of all, you got to love what you're doing. That's number one. I mean, that, I, that's whether you're public, private, what, whatever the hell you're doing. I mean, you love what you're doing. I love what I'm doing. There's a lot of aggravation. There's a lot of bumps in the road. There's a lot of times people are telling you you're crazy. It's never going to work. So align your passion with, with your work. Um, that sounds really trite, but it's, it, it, it's probably core. The, the other thing is, I, I would think, is, is um, just think differently than every. Try to think outside the box. Just, just and, and, and really think about the end user. I don't care what product or what service you're in. Align yourself with that person first. Because if you're not in alignment with that person, then I don't care how good you are, or you're, then this is just, that would be another bump in the road. That would be a bump in the, I'm not saying it's a failure. It'll be a bump in the road. And then the third thing I would say is don't worry about bumps in the road because <laughs> um, you're going to have them and they're probably as important for you as the successes. Like you sort of just take the successes in and as much as I love the NASDAQ, listing and doing the capital raise and now going after all these additional states and Canada opening up soon, which we didn't talk about, but we're about to have presumably our passable moment pretty soon. And up here, we really are the kings of the castle as compared to down the states where we're just starting to sort of show ourselves a little bit, right? And people are starting to get to know us. Up here, everybody knows us. So I, you know, I, I think it's, it's just continue to love what you're doing, stick with it, build a great team build a great team, trust your team. In my case, my team is my family. You know, I got my, my three sons are working with me. Um, it's amazing. Aww. They all have different talents. Benji's been with me. He's the president for a whole bunch of years. Aubrey's doing, you know, marketing and biz dev and Noah, my young guy, who's like 30 ish now 31 or something, you know, he came in and he's head of, he's been working with our CTO in terms of developing the betting product. So they all have their different talents and listen, it's a family. I'm not telling you there's not a lot of stuff going on once in a while, but it's a, it's a blessing actually. And, and that extends to the rest of our staff too. I mean, it's not, it's not a family working at a best. It's a, a family in a family business. And, I love it. and it's, I love it, it. it's true. It's amazing. I mean, you talk to anybody in our business, I mean, and it's growing fast. I mean, we're up to 350 employees will probably be 600 by the time we talk a year from now, which is amazing. But the trick is to try and maintain that culture and, and, you know, that everybody feels the same way about it that you do. And, well, and that the lesson for success, I hope. You took the ball, you ran with it. It sounds like you're still running. We'll be watching the score. We'll be watching the Levy family. We'll be watching your business family. And I just think this is such a valuable, valuable story of success that, again, is not a straight line. There are lots of pitfalls and lots of holes that you fall into, but you just keep climbing out. John, thank you for telling your story to Everyone Talks to Liz. Thanks, Liz. It's my pleasure. It's been a lot of fun. Anytime. And by the way, speaking of fun, we have fun Monday through Friday. 
every single day, 3 p.m. final hour of trade on the Climbing Countdown. So you, you just, I don't care if you don't trade stocks, if you do whatever. And my team is my family. So I want you guys to all tune in. So thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.